This is an Odyssey original. This is the War in Ukraine Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. And I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. May 9th is a date that's long been circled on the calendar for observers of the war in Ukraine. It's the day that Russia marks its victory over Nazi Germany in World War II. It's usually filled with patriotic bravado about Russia's military strength and power. May 9th is coming up in just a few days. There are growing fears that Russia and Vladimir Putin, desperate for some kind of victory to prove their invasion is going as planned, will ramp up attacks in the next couple of days. So we'll head to Ukraine to get the latest from the battlefield. And then we'll talk with a woman who stayed in Kiev during the early days of the war and is still there now about the city that's not quite at war, but not at peace either. Fighting between Russian and Ukrainian forces has picked up in the eastern and southern parts of the country with Ukraine's army on the counterattack in several areas of the Donbass region. Meanwhile, most of the bombed out, largely destroyed port city of Mariupol remains in Russian control. So we start in western Ukraine in the city of Lviv. That is where we find journalist Phil Itner. Starting with news uh, from Mariupol, what is the latest from there? Because there are reports, Phil, that there are still civilians waiting to be evacuated. So our evacuation still underway because Russia has often agreed to humanitarian corridors and they ultimately fall through. Yeah, uh, you know, actually, and also sometimes they set up uh, evacuations and then it turns into an attack. Uh, they use that as a kind of a, a pretext for an actual attack. So they have been holding on for quite some time. We've had a release um, uh, recently, uh, but the uh, the defenders inside that steel plant, they're holding on. At, at the last notice, they were still there. It's a, it's a pretty strongly defensible position because it was built uh, with an awful lot underground just for this kind of uh, situation. The Soviet Union built it, and uh, there's almost an entire city beneath it. So uh, they have been holding out for quite some time, but there is still you know word coming from those defenders that they are running out of food and supplies. So um, they, they, they keep saying that it's imminent that it might fall, but they keep holding out. Well, but but for all intents and purposes, don't the Russians pretty much control that city? They do. They do. They pretty much do control uh, the city of Mariupol. It's one of the major port cities in Ukraine. And um, they, you know, even got to the point where, where Putin himself said, you know, don't assault it. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's going to remain a thorn in their side until they can finally take it. Um, which, you know, it's just one of those things in this war where the Ukrainians just are so tenacious, uh, they keep holding on. So we look ahead to next week, Monday, right, for this uh, victory day that the Russians want to celebrate. And the question becomes, how do they try and, and mark that? And what do they say they've done or what can they claim as their victory? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of speculation going on about what is going to possibly be announced uh, on uh, May 19th, or I'm sorry, May 9th. It can't be understated, uh, or overstated rather, how important that day is on the Russian calendar. You know, the, the, the Second World War, the, what the Russians call the Great Patriotic War, is very much still living memory for them. Many of their uh, the veterans are still alive, but even those who aren't alive uh, still, I mean, the family carry on the legacy of that war um, very close to their hearts. So 
Um, it has in the past been used as a day for making major announcements. There's been speculation about what might be pronounced on that day, and a lot of talk that it might actually be a declaration of war, which would allow Vladimir Putin to call up uh, uh, the uh, reservists and conscripts uh, and uh, and, uh, initiate a a much more... uh, over-encompassing mobilization. In addition to that, uh, they they do expect that they might flex their uh, military might with some uh, uh, display of hardware that that might be new on the scene that uh, have been speculated about but uh, hasn't actually been seen. And there's some folks saying that that might happen as well. But um, we are clearly seeing a ramping up of activity here in Ukraine. I mean, even here in Lviv, we had an attack a couple nights ago that knocked out power and water, and that's just something that hasn't happened here. Uh, and that is that was on a night where a number of different cities around Ukraine were hit. So they are definitely, the Russians are, uh, ramping up things in the, in the run-up to May 9th. Well, and the Victory Day concept, doesn't that really feed into the Russian narrative, a, a false one, that, that the, the reason they are having this war, or, they, or as they put it, a special military operation, right, in Ukraine is to take care of the Nazis, they say, who are running the country. That fits in with their Victory Day narrative, which was about their victory over the Nazis in World War II. So now they're kind of carrying it forward, right? It is, It is as with so many things in this country, there are complexities and layers and histories that have been manipulated by a number of different powers, including people internally here within Ukraine, uh, and, you know, which narrative is the truth it gets muddied because, of course, you know, uh, as the old saying goes, history is written by the victors. Now, the, the, the complexities are also added to the fact that, you know, in the Second World War, it was the USSR that fought against Nazi Germany. And the USSR was composed in no small part by Ukraine. So many of the Ukrainians are actually the ones who who bore the brunt of the Second World War. At the end of the day, Russia, as the Soviet People's Republic of Russia, was occupied only by a very small percentage. Most of the fighting, actually, in the Second World War was on Ukrainian territory and Belarusian and, and some other uh, areas, Poland in particular. Um, but, you know, who, who owns the narrative of the Second World War is kind of in dispute, but and the word coming from Moscow is yes that the that what was left behind when the when the the uh, not when the Nazis occupied this territory is that they took in um, uh, sympathetic Ukrainians who would have fought with the devil uh, to 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 uh, strike back at Stalin's USSR uh, because he had done all these atrocious crimes in recent history in the run up to the Second World War. That is being employed by Moscow in their narrative, and we see it both from Kremlin and in mass media, which is ultimately controlled by the Kremlin, in that there are still Nazis here. Well, now there are far-right elements here. But again, I think I've mentioned this in the past, but I'll say it again. When Ukrainians say they're Ukrainian nationalists, that is, a, that is the, you know, us in the West, in the English-speaking world, we, we hear red, you know, they're, they're, you know, alarms and sirens go right. off when we hear nationalism. But Ukrainians mean they really just want a nation. That's right. what they mean when they say Ukrainian nationalism. Phil Littner, they're in Lviv. Phil, thanks.
It was only a few weeks ago when Ukraine's capital city, Kyiv, was surrounded by Russian troops, subjected to nearly hourly bombing and shelling. Today, Kyiv is a city that's not quite at war, but again, not quite at peace either. And yet still every couple of days, Russia lobs missiles at Kyiv. So let's go there now. Joining us is Natalia, a PR professional who's never left the city. Thanks so much, Natalia, for joining us. What is the situation now in Ukraine's capital city? Hello. Hello. Thanks uh, for inviting me. Thanks for giving me this time. Uh, Speaking about the Kyiv, the situation here is much more quiet and much more safe than uh, it was uh, two weeks ago, for example. Uh, But we cannot uh, predict what will be tomorrow and what will be uh, after the 9th of May. Yeah, tell me about what your what your worries are, what your thoughts are about what could be happening in the next couple of days, because everyone is watching May 9th. And we were discussing that just a few minutes ago as well. But but how do you see what what could happen or what the Russians could try and do on, on that date? Uh, speaking about my personal opinion, it's really difficult to predict because it was really difficult to predict that uh, the war in uh, 21st century is possible. And the same is about the, the next week. Uh, we don't know what can be expected by Putin, what can be expected by uh, the Russian army. Uh, so for sure, it will be a very difficult situation in the Easter of our country. Uh, but I think that... Uh, all the Ukraine, all our territory in risky. Uh, I don't want to speak about the nuclear war or something like that, but the situation is really difficult and uh, it's really difficult to predict. I mean, uh, is that something that that many Ukrainians are, at least, you know, in, in private, worried about or talking about this this unthinkable nuclear option? Uh, it's something that uh, Russian representatives speak about. They speak about uh, this every day. And sure that uh, they, they they don't say that it can be tomorrow, but uh, it's difficult to understand what are their minds and uh, what dangerous things they can make. You mentioned how it's quieter now where you are, which obviously must be a relief. But I wonder how much you've been able to actually feel that knowing still, like you said, that things could change or that that air raid siren could could sound again pretty much at any time. Yes, you know, absolutely. Each time that when the air raid siren uh, in Kyiv, it happens around three or even five times a day. Uh, it's a scary it's because we are usually going to the uh, refuges or we are going to shelters. It's uh, difficult to, to live our no- normal life. Uh, it's difficult to do business because each second uh, air siren can be and uh, it, it can be bombed again. You know, when you, when you say difficult to live a, a normal life, I, I would suspect it's hard to live a normal life, period. But I am curious, do people... In in where you are, for example, in uh, in Kiev, uh, do people I don't know go out on on weekends? Do they do they go to parties still? Are people getting married? Are they, you know what I mean? Are they, are they going through as best they can the normal activities of of life? Uh, no, it's uh, not about the parties. It's not about uh, having fun. You know that the city is silent because uh, even people scared to speak loudly. Uh, People mm, don't want to have fun because uh, 
even if they are in a rather safe place, we are thinking about our relatives, we are thinking about our friends in Mariupol, we are thinking about our uh, friends in Kherson, and uh, you know that even if we go to take a coffee, uh, we know that we spend money for volunteer, we spend money to help business goals going on. And uh, you know that, uh, for example, me, I work my usual job for eight hours a day, and then I go volunteering. I go uh, on our, our informative front to speak to, to speak with media, to help media find uh, good speakers, to find good experts, to uh, share the truth about Ukraine, to share the truth about the uh, the situation that in Kyiv or in other cities now, and uh, we help by humanitarian aid, we uh, help with delivery, and uh, you know that almost everyone who I know, uh, almost everyone is volunteering now. It's just, it's not just a money help. It's help with transportation, humanitarian, medical help, IT army, etc., etc. And you know, uh, I can ever imagine what wonderful people are around me. The big issue now is to be ok, to save normally, uh, to help our economics. We work as usual during the days and volunteering during the nights. And uh, it's very difficult because each time we, each second we are thinking about our people in Mariupol, in uh, other cities that can, that are bombed each second. Natalia in Kyiv, thank you so much for speaking to us. We hope you stay safe and uh, we'll, we'll keep in touch. This is an Odyssey original. Find us and others on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Stitcher.